Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So we have been getting a whole bunch of letters, Katie and I, from you, the listener. Uh, that's awesome. We love to get that sort of engagement. And actually, uh, someone, I can't remember who, brought up some interesting things about auctions that we missed in our last auctions episodes. So several people have made some interesting points. Interesting enough that I think we should just have a little encore episode about auctions and some of the other interesting things about auctions. Awesome. You are listening to the Encore Auction edition of Linear Digressions. First thing we should talk about with auctions, this came to us from Patrick Doherty on Twitter. Thanks, Patrick. He asked about Dutch auctions or pointed out that Dutch auctions are another interesting kind of auction that we didn't cover in the last couple of episodes. Ben, have you ever heard of Dutch auctions? I have not. I assume they have auctions in Deutsch. No, wait. <laughs> in German? <laughs> Belgium. Belgium. I assume that they have auctions in Belgium, but that's probably not what we're talking about. You mean the Netherlands? Yes, I do. Oh no, <laughs> I'm gonna just re-say that. No, I think we, I, th- I think we should keep this. <laughs> no, 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 that's not. <laughs> My geography is awful. The, the two things I did really poorly uh, in in um, elementary school were geography and handwriting, and I really tried my best, but my brain's not cut out for it. So, okay, so, so, uh, what's a Dutch auction? A Dutch auction is an auction where you start at a very high value usually far more than you think the item is worth. And then you periodically decrease the price until somebody says, I'll take it. And then the auction is over. Oh, interesting. So I I would take this scarf here sitting on my desk and I'd say this scarf is, it's just a very normal scarf. And I could say, uh, you know, $200 and no one goes for it. And I say $100 and I kind of bring myself down. And eventually someone's like, "Eh, yeah, I'll pay that. I'll pay that. And, it's uh, a little bit and, like, uh, yeah, the the interactions that you might have if you if you go to Morocco or Turkey or something, and you're trying to buy something in one of the souks. I says, I will I will sell you <laughs> this beautiful piece of junk for one hundred dollars. It is so yeah. nice. And he's like, I don't, I'll, I'll give you two. Um, yeah, yeah. So a Dutch auction, yeah, starts high and then comes low, and this uh, has a really interesting history. Have you ever heard of the Dutch tulip bubble? I have not. Oh, really? Oh, this is, okay, this is going to be a fun digression. Okay, cool. So back in the day, several hundred years ago, this is one of the first recorded cases of a bubble in the sense that we think of it now, an economic bubble, where people get really frenzied about something, uh, some item that then starts to get really overpriced as a result, as people speculate and get all kind of worked up trying to acquire this one very rare or highly prized uh, type of commodity. And what happened was in the Netherlands, there was a bubble about tulips. Mm, like, so like everybody the wanted them. Yeah. And um, they, I don't know, people were just really excited about tulips. And so there was this really crazy economy that started to pop up where people were spending huge amounts of money uh, relative to the, the average incomes at the time buying tulip bulbs. And of course, all of these marketplaces were actually taking place in person because they didn't have any sort of electronic ways that you can buy and sell tulip bulbs. Mm. And so people are meeting up in these big warehouses trying to bid on tulips, and it's just complete pandemonium as vast amounts of money are changing hands for tulip bulbs. And so they instituted the Dutch auction to uh, help facilitate these markets because one of the things about a Dutch auction is that it's over very quickly. Um, right. Rather than starting at what you think is a reasonable price and then going up and up and up and up and up and up and up. Well, with tulip bulbs, that probably would have been a very long uh, auction, right? And so you start really high and you bring it down until 
you find something acceptable. Yep. And so that was the mechanism that they came up with to very quickly keep the tulip bulb market moving, keeping it from getting too gunked up. You know, one cool thing about this type of auction is you don't have to explain it to anybody. Like you could just you could just run an auction. Everyone's expecting a normal auction and you could just start running a Dutch auction. People might be a little confused, but I mean, everyone will know how to do it because they'll just bid on whatever they think, you know, is is a worth a worthy price. I guess that's true. It is actually pretty straightforward, uh, especially compared to some of these more intricate the, your sealed second bid, second price bid auction. Yeah, right. So I can imagine this kind of developing organically, like someone just decides, you know what, I'm going to try something a little different, and everybody just gets it. Second thing that I thought was really interesting, this was uh, something that, I don't know the name of the person who was talking with me about this, it was somebody on Reddit, but thank you, you know who you are. So this person was <laughs> a, 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 an actual economist, Unlike me, this person really understands auctions. And <laughs> yeah, pointed we, out, <laughs> we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> not when it not when it comes to economics, not so much. Yeah. Um, but this person pointed out something that I didn't quite get right about Winner's Curse, and the reality of Winner's Curse is even more interesting than I had said uh, a couple of episodes ago. Hmm. So Winner's Curse, I had said, was where you win the auction and you end up overpaying and it's it's bad. And, and I attributed it a little bit to kind of getting caught up in the moment. And I suppose there could be some aspect to that. But what he pointed out was that it's even a little bit more subtle than that. Because imagine all of the people who are participating in this auction, each of them has some private idea of what they think the value of, let's say it's a contract to drill a well and you have some oil rights Mm -hmm. and so everyone is going to have a different idea about how much oil might be in the ground and no one really knows for sure but each person is then going to be have a maximum bid that's based on their what they presume the value of the of the well potentially to be a reasonable guess of what the true value is is probably something that's around the middle of the pack of all of Mm. those valuations so if i have a spread yeah if i have a spread of valuations that say go from a thousand dollars to fifteen hundred dollars, then my best guess of the true value of the well is probably that it's somewhere around twelve fifty. Right. And so the person with winner's curse is the person at the very, 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 very top of that distribution. And once they win, they're they they're looking around, they're like, nobody wants to pay this much? Like, well gosh, I guess I must have an overinflated value of what the the rights to this well are worth or whatever it is. And so that's a slightly more nuanced, but I think much more interesting way of thinking about winner's curse. So I thought that was very cool. Third thing is not exactly about auctions, but it uses auctions as an example. And I think it's really interesting. So I'm using that loose connection to talk about it for the rest oh, of yeah, the episode. Oh, yeah, why not? <laughs> this is a blog post by Sebastian Nowazen, if I'm saying his name correctly. This is from a couple weeks ago. Uh, It's entitled The Fair Price to Pay a Spy, An Introduction to the Value of Information. And here is the general question, and I'll, I'll get into an example in just a second. The general question is, how much is a piece of information worth? A piece of information is valuable to me if it's something that helps me make a decision, and in particular, if it helps me make a decision that's different from the decision that I was going to make before. In general... I might be in a position where I have to value a piece of information before I actually know what the information is. And so here is the example, is let's suppose I'm participating in an auction 
it's a sealed bid auction to build a, uh, a an apartment building. And whoever gives the lowest price bid is going to win the contract and uh, they'll be paid the amount that they bid. So this is a sealed lowest price auction. They'll be paid the amount that they bid and then uh, whatever the difference is between the amount that they get paid and the amount that they have to spend to actually build the apartment, that's their profit. And they want to be making as much profit as possible. And so the question is, in this situation, what should I be bidding as someone who's entering the market? And how much value should I place on it if I get some, let's say, insider information that there's a spy that I can buy information from the spy about what's going on in the auction? How much is that information actually worth to me? Because Mm. the idea is that the spy might walk up to me and say, I have some information on what's going on in this auction and what other people are bidding. I can tell you what the lowest price bid is currently. Um, You're going to have to pay me some money before I do that, though. And so then I have to decide how much it's worth to me to to get that information from him before I actually know what the number is. So the number, there's some chance that this number is like worthless to me because right. it's a number that I'll, I'm never going to be able to beat anyway because I wouldn't be making a profit because it's too low or something. So there's yeah, there's yeah. some uncertainty on my end and I have to value this information before I actually know what it is. Yeah, that's always kind of a, a sticky situation to be in because you kind of have to trust the spy. And I, I guess um, just by a spy's very nature, they're inherently they feel untrustworthy (laughs) because you know they're leaking information from other people i guess that's true yeah that's even uh that's an interesting permutation of this question this is actually addressed a little bit towards the end of this blog post is um, if there's an uncertainty actually on whether the spy knows the true value or not or whether they're lying to you whatever oh yeah yeah there's plenty of incentive to come up to someone and be like hey i've got information you need you just got to pay me information you just got to pay me money and then I'll give you some nonsense, you know, like. Yeah. And the way that you should think about this is let's imagine that I don't know what the, I don't know anything about what the other bids in the market might be. I'm basically saying to the spy, I'm not going to buy the information from you and I'm just going to go this, this way alone. And so then what I have to do is I have to calculate the expectation of the amount of profit that I'm going to make in that scenario. And what that boils down to mathematically is it's, the probability of whether I think I'm going to win the auction. So I have to have some kind of prior distribution of what I think the bids might look like. I obviously don't know what the what the lowest price bid actually is, but I might have some idea of what range I think is a likely range for it to fall into. I also have a range of how much I think the apartment complex will cost me to build. So that's going to be at a, a Gaussian or, or a gamma distribution maybe that's centered at some slightly lower number. So there's a probability that I can calculate based on where I think the lowest price bid might be. And there's a, the probability that my bid is lower than the lowest price bid. And then you take that, that probability and you multiply it by the difference between my bid and the amount that I expect the apartment will actually cost me to build. So I multiply that probability times the amount of the probability of me winning times the amount of money that I make if I win. And that's my expectation of how much money I'm going to be making if I don't have any information about what the lowest bid might be. The amount that I should pay the SPY, the way that I calculate this is you go through the same exercise, but now instead of there being a probability of the chance that you win the auction, the probability collapses down into what we in physics would call a delta function. Mm -hmm. And it's a number that's 
one if I decide to bid lower than the lowest bid and it's zero otherwise. So, so now I know exactly what the number is that I'm going to bid because I know what the existing lowest bid on the, on the market is and I can bid like $1 less than that. Right. And that makes sense. You, you ultimately want to have the highest bid possible without going over the lowest bid uh, that other contractors have bid, for example. So if someone bids a million dollars, you want to you obviously want to go lower than that, uh, but you want to go as high as possible lower than that, so that way you can maximize your profits. Yeah, and so then you go through the same calculation that you did before, but now instead of there being this probabilistic aspect of whether I win the auction or not, that's known, and I just have the probability of whether I make a profit or not, which is a, a little bit less uh, difficult to deal with. So now I'm in this world where as soon as the spy tells me what the number is that I need to bid, then I have a a fairly constrained idea of how much money I'm going to make. The only thing that's left as an uncertainty in this equation is what is the spy actually going to say? Because there's a a world in which the spy can say, the lowest bid on this apartment complex is $500,000. And I say, I'm not going to make money on this. Yeah. So there is still the possibility Um, And I have to take into account what's the expectation, not just of how much money I'm going to make, but how much money I'm going to make multiplied by or convoluted with all the things that the spy could tell me. And in many of these scenarios, I end up making money, but in some of them, I don't. And so then you repeat that, that calculation, what's the, what's the amount of money that I, the expected amount of money that I make sort of money plus likelihood of making that amount of money. And he goes through with a couple of concrete distributions that you can put up for these, you can put in for these various terms, like what are the bids that people are making? What's the amount that I expect the apartment complex to make? Goes through and crunches some numbers and says that with these sort of toy numbers, this made up example, when I have the information about how much I should bid, then the amount of money that I expect to make is going to be $620. The amount of money that I had with the same scenario, but where before I had to make sort of a probabilistic statement about whether I was going to win the auction or not, the amount of money that I made in that scenario was $420. So the difference between $620 and $420, that's the amount of money that I expect to make as a result of having uh, the information from the spy. So in terms of fair market value of this information that I don't know what it is yet, but I had to place a number on it, and it's just the difference between how much money I make when I know that information and the amount that I make when I don't know that information, which is about $200. Right. So if you take that number $200 and you pay your spy $200, then probabilistically you've entirely broken even. And so you want to take that number and maybe multiply it by some kind of profit margin so that way you feel like you're coming out on top by using the spy as or probabilistically coming out on top versus not at all. Yeah. And there's even a third part of this blog entry, which we've been talking for a while. So I will leave right. this to the reader, but where it even goes over the um, the issue that you brought up at the beginning of the episode is how do I know that the spy is actually going to tell me something that's correct? Right. And maybe yeah, there's some uncertainty that? on that. That's cool stuff. I love that. Um, I, I guess I just love math. And I, I love that we can take these relatively complicated situations that feel really fuzzy and, and kind of squishy, and we can actually model them using probability and math to decide what would be the best thing to do in this particular situation. I just think that's really cool. Yeah, and I think it has some really powerful implications, too, that if you can find situations that fit into this mold, then decision theory gives you some tools for dealing with it. So I might have a question like, oh, well, I'm I'm working in this business right now, and things are going along pretty well. 
I think that maybe they could be going better if I were to spend a bunch of money on launching a, a study of my existing customers to try to put out a survey and figure out what's important to them. That's going to cost me some money, um, but I'm going to learn a piece of information, which I, I don't know right now. I don't know what I'm going to learn, but I think that mm-hmm. there's a good chance that what I do learn is going to help me increase my profits in the future. And so uh, a calculus like this helps me figure out whether I want to actually run that study or not, that the amount of money that I expect to make with that information is, is enough to justify the cost of the study itself. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.